Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome to the Binge Movie Podcast, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases from our own queer-ass perspectives. I am Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Larte. Today we're going to take a look at four new releases. Absolutely Fabulous, the movie, Cafe Society, Lights Out, and Breaking a Monster. And as always, we're going to rate these on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being the highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means... Life's too short for that moose. That mess. Speaking of life being too short for things you actually don't want to know about, what's up with you, Jason? (laughs) (sighs) Fuck you, Rebecca. (laughs) That's what's up with me. Off to a rocky start this week, guys. (laughs) Uh, So, let's see. Didn't Um, even thank me for asking. All right. Yeah, well, you know what? Sometimes you don't deserve a thank you. Fair enough. That's what happens. Um, so this past weekend, I did something I haven't done in a while. Oh boy. <laughs> um, nothing, nothing too exciting. No, I, 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 I binge watched an entire season of a new Netflix show. Oh, which one? Uh, Stranger Things. Oh, everybody has been talking about it. Oh yeah, it's the talk of the water cooler, I'll tell you. <laughs> Everybody's talking up that Stranger Things. You just, you're on that Winona train. I am, well, I always have been. Sure. Have you told, I don't know if I've told you this, but I've had recurring dreams for years and years and years that like Winona and I are friends. Uh-huh. And I don't know what, like it's more than any other celebrity, I have recurring dreams where like, oh good, we finally met. Um, you know, now, now you'll see that I will support you in all of your emotional trouble. Um, yeah, I don't, there's just something about her that I've always, like, I have this one vivid dream that, uh, I had years ago where I'm in a laundromat with her and (laughs) she's just sitting there with a little pixie cut all crestfallen and I'm just cheering her up. I don't know. I don't know why her. I don't know why. I know. I know. I want to cheer her up because clearly she's had some problems. Yeah, she's had some problems. Um, but you have a gay savior complex. I do. You know, I see a, a, an actress in trouble, and I want to help. Uh, so you know, it's just what I'm made of, and <laughs> uh, you know, so I've always loved her, and I was so excited to see that she was going to be getting a Netflix show. Um, with that said, I feel like everybody is saying that this is the best thing Netflix has ever done. It's just oh, really? untouchable. It's the coolest. I'm like missing whatever part of the brain these people have that this is like stroking so beautifully because I thought it was kind of meh. Oh. Like I wasn't like, I love the opening credits, uh, which is just like 80s synth gorgeousness. Mm-hmm. It makes you think you're about to watch like a Ty West movie. Um, but then like, it's kind of... I didn't care. Like, I wasn't really invested in the plot. What's the premise? Um, it's sort of, well, it's just, it's the premise, it's less a premise than a series of homages to very okay. recognizable things like Close Encounters and E.T. and The Goonies and... Oh, that's why. Yeah, it's that whole era. So I think it depends. If you're nostalgic for that specific moment in, like, American pop culture history... Which then, we just talked about last week, we yeah, are not. Yeah, exactly. Then this will, like, jack you right off. But um, but otherwise, like, I, there's not much to it. Like, it looks fine. Even when Nona... And this, I think the main reason it killed me was because I don't think that she's great on the show. Ooh. Um, I feel like they are really encouraging her. They're like directing her to play the whole, every like ounce of screen time she has 
just ratcheted up way too oh, high yeah. in her intensity. And, um, and she has a tendency to not really, like, connect with her scene partners. Like, she's just kind of, oh, like, she's doing... she's doing it on her own. Yeah, she's doing, like, she's looking at them and she's talking to them. But you can tell that she's just in her own world. Oh. Um, and, well, it's uh, been a minute. It has. It has. Um, you know, so I, I, I just worry that's kind of, like, how... Lindsay Lohan post everything that happened, although, you know, she had a lot more, of course, than Winona did in oh, terms yeah. of scandal. But, you know, it's almost like Lindsay lost that ability to be truly vulnerable on camera, that you need to be an actor and to really connect with, like, the audience, connect with people around you. Mm-hmm. I worry that Winona had something similar, you know, happen um. as a result of what happened in her, her long time away. Um, I thought she was good in Black Swan. Oh, yeah, she was great in Black Swan. Um, So I hope this is just maybe... I think it's also an underwritten character. I also think it's not the kind of character she should be playing. When you think... She's playing like a a mousy Indiana housewife uh, in like 1983. Uh, So I don't know that it's, you know... I don't know that it's the role for her. Yeah. Um, But but she's there. She's there. Happy to see her. So you binge watched it? Uh, I did. Um... It's only eight episodes, which is short for a Netflix mm-hmm. season. Um, but no, we watched the entire thing in one weekend, even though I was like unmoved by it. Hmm. Um, and uh, and and granted, over the two days that I watched it, I did start both of those days day drinking. Um, sure. So I may have had that kind of flagging energy level you get mm-hmm. whenever you start a day mm-hmm. like that. Sometimes it's best to binge watch the... Uh less powerful ones because when you start to binge watch the intense ones it gets a little too much yeah right exactly breaking bad right or the most recent season of orange is the new black still haven't seen that still haven't seen no gotta get around to that um do i yeah you really fucking do like you will by the end of it believe me you will be glad you watched it and you'll be are you trying to gay savior me right now you're (laughs) no because i'm I'm trying to steer you toward emotional problems not away (laughs) from them um that's why we're friends that is that is what friends do um but um anyway so that's a very it's a very homebody what's up with me um what's up with you rebecca um, speaking of steering myself towards emotional problems, mm. um, I have been streaming the RNC for the past mm. couple of days. Mm. Um, just kind of listening to it in the background. I've had it on while I've, I've been at work, and I don't, I don't really watch it. You know, I'm just listening to it. And um, I do have to say, the hushed murmurs of crowds is very nice to work to <laughs> when there's actually nothing happening, and it's just like a background group uh. of people just like. It's start, really nice. You can start working in like crowded bus stations. Yeah, start or like a civil workstation in Grand Central. <laughs> Wait, of of San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and maybe if there's an app that has that sound. I might try to find it later. But in mm-hmm. other than that, it's been a fucking nightmare to um, hate watch, and uh, just really has been bringing me down. So, and yet you keep watching. I it. don't know why. Um, yeah. Part of it, when I do kind of tab back to the screen. I watched um, I mean, some of these things where I wish I was constantly making a gif out of it. Is it a know your enemy type thing? N- 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 no. I mean, I have a pretty clear idea of who, like, especially the people who are, like, wearing the, like, red, white, and blue hats and, you know, the like, these delegate folks um, for the RNC. Mm-hmm. I kind of I think I have a pretty good idea of that group. Right. Um, I don't know. I guess I'm maybe just waiting for some sort of train wreck to happen, and I want to be like there and see when it happens and mm. hear when it happens. Right. Um, but yep. so far, just minimal. Some pushback from Alaska. <laughs> um, now that they've officially um, stated Trump as the, they've done the roll call and he's the nominee, it's 
Well, a little for, bit less exciting. I, for one, am looking forward to not saying presumptive anymore. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, a stupid word. Yeah, it's I hate saying too it. much. No, yeah, it's too also, much. Also, it's been completely unnecessary for both of them mm-hmm. for a while. For a while. For a while. Um, do you feel like you can emotionally detach yourself when you're watching that kind of thing? Because that's why I can't watch it. Because I I, I, I watch it with my feelings. Yeah. And uh, and it's it's only a series of worse and worser feelings uh, to watch such a thing. I think what I'm doing is the unfortunate repercussion is that I am reinforcing biases I have. <laughs> um, and it's just making me hate more. Uh, so maybe I should lay off because um, I, I feel very much um, that I'm watching a group of people who hate me and hate what I do and, yeah. and the way I live my life. So um, I'm, I'm not trying to like sympathize. Um, and I am there with my emotions, but, um, I'm just, yeah, I'm just getting all fired up about it, um, in a, in a sad way. So I should just, and, and I should just really stop watching it. And where are you putting that energy that, that that's giving you? Oh, where I put all of my feelings deep down inside. <laughs> Impenetrable by light or reason. Because feelings are like treasures, so bury them. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, <laughs> let's get on to our first movie of the week, which is absolutely fabulous, the movie. After attracting both media and police attention for accidentally knocking Kate Moss into the River Thames, Adina and Patsy hide out in the south of France. Westwood window. Yes, we're free! We're in the south of France, everyone's a criminal. The fortunes, the estates, the yachts. What is this, some kind of late-life lesbo party? Where are the men? Cheers. Don't get that on British Airways. This could be our life, couldn't it? (laughs) We're not going back. We're not going back. Break it! I'm being trolleyed on Twitter. A woman told me I was a pariah. Do you know what a pariah is? Yeah. It's a fish. Oh, those wacky dames. Those goofy old broads. Uh, full disclosure, I've seen maybe one episode of the show. What have you watched, Rebecca? Sometimes <laughs> I ask myself. Mm. I just go home, put on reruns of Wings, <laughs> open a beer, hang of, out with Lowell and Roy and call it a night. Part of being a daily hard. That um, is what you, you diehard Tim Daly fans call yourself. It uh, also works for Time, Time Daily, Daily yeah, so it also. works double time. Sometimes I get to watch um, Kagi and Lacey. Mm, um, sometimes. Currently, I'm watching The Americans. So oh, finally. well, hey, that's a thing to watch. Yeah. What season are you on? Uh, three. Okay. Yeah, oh, no, so there's three. like what? There's two. Like th- two. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Such a guilty face. I love that show. <laughs> all, my episode, all one season I've seen. Okay. So, I haven't seen the show, yeah. but I assume you have a lot, and probably most of our listeners have. I would think if you're listening to this segment of the show, you probably have seen the show. And uh, and also, yeah, if, if you're a big homo, you probably have seen the show. And if you have lots of homo friends, you've probably seen the show. Um, but the show's heyday was like 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, has this movie modernized the their lives, the story? Uh, it, 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 the, the, the amazing thing is that Patsy and Eddie do look almost identically the same as they did on the <laughs> show. 
um, and they sound the same. And, you know, there are little nods here and there to things like Twitter and Snapchat and twerking and things like that. Um, It doesn't get too overly concerned with that, thank God, because that would be really lame. Um, But, you know, it also, the the sense of humor on the show was always very, very um, irreverent. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and so there are jokes in the movie that definitely feel like they're on the wrong side of sensitivity. Oh. Um, One of the characters has emerged as being uh, trans. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is not handled super well. Oh. Um, and then that character's wife is like a white person who identifies as being black. And so oh. they, they kind of throw a few things in. Yeah. Um, just, you know, to be like, oh, well, how can we throw in this topical thing here and there to, you know, keep our edge? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, all in all, it feels like exactly like an episode of the show stretched out to movie length, both for better and worse. Mm-hmm. Um, because... Like the show itself, and like the women themselves, this movie is a fucking mess. <laughs> oh my god, it's such a mess. Um, you can tell that they basically, like, you know, the, the this all came together kind of very quickly in production, and it shows. Um, <laughs> they, I think, you know, because Jennifer, Jennifer Saunders, uh, who plays Eddie... Uh, you know, wrote the film and uh, and she had this idea of like, oh, what if they kill Kate Moss? And they're like, well, can we get Kate Moss? And then they ask and it turns out they can get Kate Moss and they're like, roll picture! <laughs> um, so it really feels like they don't get any further than the premise of like, what if we accidentally kill Kate Moss? And then <laughs> and then went on the run. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty solid up until that part. Once they go on the run, it gets really preposterous. Okay. (laughs) Um, and, and, uh, yeah, just as a movie, it is a shambles, just a shambles. (laughs) Um, and and I can't tell if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Well, it's, it's neither really, but I mean, you know, the show, the show was like this too. I mean, we, we remember the show very, very fondly. Um, but it was never certainly compared to what we expect of our TV shows today. Mm. Um, it was, it's very lacking in, um, coherence. (laughs) Um, and it was, it always felt kind of loose and disjointed and, uh, you know, kind of cheap. And, uh, but it, it was all about these two amazing actresses, Jennifer Saunders and Joanna Lumley and these two, just immediately recognizable, perfect characters, Patsy and Eddie. And it's about watching them together and watching them and their chemistry and how just appalling they are as characters. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and that comes through here as well. Like, they are every bit as funny, every bit as wonderful to watch together. And so I, I think that the, the reason that anybody, you know, enjoyed the first show, um, it, they'll enjoy this movie. Because the exact thing that they liked watching the first show for is also here in this movie. And this has a lot of uh, familiar faces in it. We have John Hamm and Rebel Wilson and Chris Colfer, who been, we've been wondering what he's been up to. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah? He's here. Any uh, standout performances? Uh, it's great seeing Kate Moss. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, John Hamm is a funny bit. Uh, but Chris Colfer, Chris Colfer plays a character that, to me, reminds me too much of my own like negative prejudice of what Chris Colfer is like in real life. Is he like that uh, side character in Difficult People? <laughs> like Cola Scola. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, he plays he plays just like a super bitchy hairdresser stylist. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I feel like this is you know Chris Colfer post Glee clearly nobody has anything to do for him. 
Um, no one knows what to do with like someone who looks and see in sounds and just gives off the overall vibe of a Chris Colfer. Yeah. He's been writing children's books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I mean, you know, tell it to Madonna. But uh <laughs> but yeah, I get the sense that he just basically makes a living now, like being invited to like Kathy Griffin's house parties. Uh <laughs> so and uh so yeah, so I it So was, your dream job? I mean, like, yes, this could be the voice of jealousy, but <laughs> um in addition to, you know, Billy Eichner stealing everything else from me. But um mm. But, uh, yeah, no, he's there. Uh, he's, you know, he's little and mincing and whatever. I would have rather seen Cola Scola on the role. Um, mm. But, uh, yeah. So, yeah, he's there. Rebel Wilson has, everyone kind of has just like a bit part. Okay. There's cameos from the fashion world. So McCartney's in the film. Um, and one of the funniest things that was always recurring on AbFab, the show, was, you know, Eddie has this PR firm and it's just, just in dire straits. You know, their client list is tragic. But, you know, she always presents it as though it's, you know, she's this fabulous person with this fabulous list of clients. And when, when Preston named them, she only could ever say Lulu, uh, who is this uh, sort of like semi-obscure British one-hit wonder singer um, who sang like To Serve With Love, possibly. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, but uh, so she's in the film playing herself. So Lulu, <laughs> Lulu is back. And then they've also added to uh, to Eddie's repertoire. She now also represents Emma Bunton, uh, Baby Spice, <laughs> who plays herself. <laughs> And they never say her name right. Whenever they're coming, they're like Baby Bunton, Baby Bunton, Baby Bunton's looking. <laughs> um, so and and then uh, yeah, Lulu and Baby Spice are both livid uh, with Eddie and her poor representation of them. Uh, so yeah, so there's lots of fun cameos, and you know the whole thing has a very festive, you know, party vibe. So it's better um, than Zoolander too. Yes, yeah, it's much better than Zoolander too. Um, and you know the whole cast from a TV show does come back. We have uh, you know the, uh, Eddie's daughter Safi. Um, her mother, the, the actress who plays the mother amazingly, is still with us and coherent enough to learn dialogue. Uh, so uh, yeah, so everyone's there, and it's a, it's a just a, it's just a messy party of a movie. Um, yeah. So everyone being there from from the show, is this something that is really just for fans, or can can newcomers enjoy it? Uh, you know, I, I can't imagine. I wouldn't tell a newcomer, like, oh, yeah, no, go out and see the AbFab movie. Um, I mean, maybe they'll just be so... I think the first time anybody sees Eddie and Patsy, they're just so tickled immediately mm-hmm. um, because they're such hilarious characters just in of themselves doing literally anything. Um, so, but, you know, this is, a, this is a gift for the fans. You know, this is something for the fans um, to uh, enjoy. And I don't know that newcomers were really going to flock to this. I can't imagine it's going to make much of a dent in the box office. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I, for the, for the old time fans of AbFab, I think that they will find, uh, find much to enjoy here, even if the movie itself kind of spectacularly falls apart in the second half. So that said, would you recommend the show? Would I recommend the show? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so I was, I've actually, I'm not a diehard AbFabber. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like they're like, like, yeah, the things I'm saying in this review represent kind of how I feel about the show, which is that like. Patsy and Eddie are hilarious, always and forever. The show itself, the storylines are tragic and 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 weak. Okay. Um, so, you know, it's it's really just about them and their spark and their chemistry. And so the thing that I enjoy about the TV show is the thing I enjoy about this movie. Gotcha. What are you rating this one? Uh, consumer moderation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I can't in good, con- in good conscience actually say this is a good movie because <laughs> it is not. Um, but, uh, but I, you know, I laughed a lot and, uh, and, and, you know, all the things that were good about the show are good about this movie. Absolutely fabulous. The movie is out now and it's rated R for language, including sexual references and some drug use. 
That brings us to movie number two, which is Cafe Society. Set in the 1930s, a young Bronx native moves to Hollywood where he falls in love with the secretary of his powerful uncle, an agent to the stars. After returning to New York, he is swept up in the vibrant world of high society nightclub life. Are there more beautiful girls in Hollywood or New York? Why? Is that how you'll decide where you'll live? You're very beautiful. I'm seeing someone. Unrequited love kills more people in any year than tuberculosis. Don't you want to try me? Listen, I'm so lonely. I would have been happy just to talk, but now I'm even too tired for that. You, You like jazz music? So first off, let's talk about the discouraging company title that appeared on the screen before we started watching the movie. Oof. That was hard to see. It was. It was. Uh, guys, this one is an Amazon movie. An uh, Amazon production. Yeah. Amazon Studios came on screen before this movie played. And that is just, I'm sure that in a couple of years we'll be used to it. Yeah. But for now, seeing that in front of a, a new Woody Allen movie... It just feels so down market. I can't wait to see the day we go see the new Terrence Malick movie and it's presented by Snapchat. Ha! <laughs> Grinder presents. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, that'll Wolf be, video production. That'll be great. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it feels gross. Like I, I'm so saddened by how big of a player Amazon has become and, you know, just w- just showed up with unlimited money, it seemed, to mm-hmm. like Sundance and Candace here and bought so many major movies. Like, there are major, major titles that are going to be Oscar contenders that are going to have Amazon Studios stamped at the beginning of them. I mean, I feel like I played a part in that. I bought more stuff on Amazon than probably uh, anywhere in the world. Oh, same, same, guilty as charged. So we're all contributing. We're all making this happen, you know? Like, it's all of our Prime memberships that they just were able to use <laughs> to buy these movies. And, uh, you know, and they're at least doing, I'll, I'll say this for them, you know, they, they do theatrical rollouts for their movies. Mm-hmm. Um, Netflix doesn't do that. Yeah, that's you know? true. So if you're bought by Netflix, then you're done. Um, yeah. You know, you're going to be on Netflix and that's it. Amazon, they're doing these theatrical runs, you know, which is great. But it's just, uh, I guess I just need to, mm, it'll take time. It'll take time. In the same way that when Netflix started doing original series, it seemed like, oh, really, Netflix? We do right. original series? What kind of like pathetic actor would do a show with Netflix? And now it's like the hottest destination in the world. But, you know, Amazon has always been so overtly bargain-based. You know, it's always been like this yeah. kind of like internet bargain basement. Um, so, or, you know, it's like it's like the e-commerce Walmart. You know, like it's it's just hard to... Well, then there's Transparent. And then there's Transparent. I know. I know. Then there's um, Man in the High Castle, which looks like a piece of shit. <laughs> I have not watched it. It's The production is one. really shitty. I, I think the transparent is the only Amazon original show that I've watched. Mm-hmm, I think so too. Um, but uh, but yeah, so guys, just get ready. Uh, if you go see Cafe Society to see Amazon Studios beforehand, and then to see just those classic, iconic Woody Allen title sequence start up, and then you'll just be sitting there thinking like, oh, what's become of the world? Mm-hmm. At least they don't have the Gershwin tune coming in over the Amazon yeah, uh, title oof. card. Yeah. Um, so this is our first Woody Allen movie, the one first one we reviewed on the show. So yeah. let's just get a little background. Jason, yeah. what is your or are your favorite Woody Allen movies? Hmm. Well, I'm very uh, nostalgic for early mid 90s Woody because that's when I first became aware of him. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say like possibly my personal favorite Woody movie that I will just watch over and over and over again is Bullets Over Broadway. Okay, that's a good one. I fucking love that movie so much. Um, I was a big fan of Mighty Aphrodite, which came out right after that. And those were mm-hmm. like two consecutive Oscar winners for him um, for Best Supporting Actress. Uh, Purple Rose of Cairo is magical. 
Um, when I was like 13, 14, I was a big fan of like the Bananas era, Woody Allen. Oh, just, just, I never got into that. High absurdity, absolutely ridiculous, uh, just goofball comedies um, that still had a very smart sensibility, but were just so, so, so silly. I mean, you know, and they kind of, they kind of got more brilliant, like Sleeper and Love and Death and, um, you know, so yeah, and there's, there's, and then there's a lot. Blue Jasmine. You Blue know, Jasmine, yeah. Blue fucking Jasmine. Should have stopped there. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, like, I'm in awe of his work ethic. Uh, you know, a movie yeah. a year for, you know, I think for over 40 years now. It's, it's, it's over like 45. It's, it's, it's an amazing, it's an amazing accomplishment. But what are your favorites? Um, so my favorites are probably around the period that you would be introduced. Um, so like Manhattan, mm-hmm. Hannah and her sisters, Crimes and oh, Misdemeanors. Yeah. Radio Days and Broadway Danny Rose. I feel hmm. like, I think Broadway Danny Rose is probably my favorite. Really? Where he has that, like, I always like his, like, weirdo cast of characters mm-hmm. and, like, ne'er-do-wells. Yeah. Um, who, like, hang out. And, and family like fuck-ups. Like, yeah, family fuck-ups. And he's, like, kind of sweet. And, and, you know, his schlubbiness is, like, less creepy because, like, there's, like, a the good side to him that you can see. Mm. It's not as self-centered as it is in some of the movies. I mean, some of those I've named, he also is that character. So, um, so you would. But think- I would say that's like, uh, like Radio Days. I like, I like his throwback to that time period when he did it in like the seventies and eighties, uh-huh. which was kind of a weird feeling watching this one, watching him right. throw back again, and it felt like I don't know if it's because I'm older now mm-hmm. and it's coming out when I'm alive that it doesn't have. It almost felt like when he made those movies about the thirties and forties in the seventies and eighties, it seemed more like the 30s and 40s i mean maybe because it also the movies looked older you yeah know, when you saw production them. value change um, over those yeah, periods I mean, this, is sh- this is shot on digital yeah um but you know yeah i would think that if you know if if this movie is nothing else it's a sweet spot around broadway danny rose and radio days uh so i would think that this would but it's be more glamorous i mean yes. it's those radio Part, days, i mean parts but... of it it's like half of it's glamorous half of it's right yeah gritty. and a lot of it uh has those same sort of familiar themes yeah with rivalries and rejection mm-hmm. tied, um, existentialism, living with uh, murder on your conscience. Um, oh, the intellectual character. Yes, yeah, so um, at least one person being described as an intellectual. Yeah, and that's um, how you always know if if someone's like, well, well, that's because you're a neurotic, or yeah. like, well, he's an intellectual. That's right. how you know you're watching Woody Allen movie if someone's described as either of those two things. And there's always like the reference to some sort of philosopher. Right. Or... Well, as Proust said, yeah. yeah. Um, so did you think this movie did anything new that you haven't seen in, in his other movies? Well, the thing that I um, appreciated about this movie that I thought was new um, for him is it's really, this movie is a love letter to an era in two different cities. Mm-hmm. You know, much was made of the fact that Woody was going west um, because he, right. he you know, erroneously has been cited as hating Los Angeles um, for the last 40 years because of Annie Hall and the way that Annie Hall depicts um, his character going to LA mm-hmm. and his experience there. And it's such a sharp barbed satirical vision of Los Angeles in like the mid seventies. Um, but Woody in interviews for this film was like, I have no problem with Los Angeles. You know, I just prefer New York. Um, but uh, you know, so he, he goes out West and he, he, he does this gorgeous loving tribute to 1930s Hollywood and then does just as big of a love letter to 1930s New York. Mm-hmm. And then really, uh, and, you know, you can tell that his affection for those eras, it's so, like, just enormous because 
even in the narration of the film, there are multiple side stories that are being told about just random personalities that are in these places. Um, people in the club in New York, people at parties in LA. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so he his his imagination is endlessly stoked by the possibilities of just these great personalities of that era. And also this this feels like uh, kind of a riff on Hollywood's roots in Jewish New York. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's very much sort of muses on that bond that, you know, how we see like just the glamorous surface of Hollywood. And we see this hardworking guy played by Steve Carell. And then we see one phone call to him from his family back in the Bronx. And we see where he comes from. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so just sort of like just going back to that very, the very foundation, the very root of Hollywood, um, you know, being, um, you know, in this population. And uh, so I think that, you know, it's kind of a fun way of looking at it. And he's he's played with this idea, too, before the idea of like, you know, crime and art. Like Bulls for Broadway, for instance, mm-hmm. Chaz Palminteri was nominated for an Oscar for playing a gangster uh, who uh, ends up, you know, basically ghostwriting this play for this hack playwright who thinks he's a genius. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but uh, so I thought that that was, you know, it was interesting to see him just really indulging his love for the era as he's done previously, like you mentioned, in like Radio Days and Broadway Danny Rose. But, um, you know, and with that said, yeah, it all still seems very familiar. I think this movie does feel very lush for a Woody Allen film. Um, you know, yeah, watching it, yeah. you know, so this is a movie that I watched while, while me and Scott were in Paris. And so I watched it a second time with Rebecca last night and I was able to just kind of more enjoy the overall lushness of it. I think it's a very enchanting movie. It's basically an old fashioned, charming romantic comedy, I think. Um, it's not great, but you know, I think that it has its charms. Mm-hmm. Um, did you think there's anything new about it? Uh, no, I felt like it was so <laughs> many parts of other movies just put together, uh, with the bit of a, you know, he's been doing this sort of like world tour of cities, mm-hmm. um, and Los Angeles was next. And I, and I felt like even the way he treated Los Angeles, even though it was beautifully shot, his, so the main character played by Jesse Eisenberg is from New York, goes to LA, works for a bit and then comes back to New York. And I feel like even though I wouldn't say he goes out of his way to um, hate L.A., but there's definitely like an L.A. personality that that the main character does not like and wants to go back to New York for and, and wants to avoid. So I think that there is still a bit of a little bit of contempt there. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, I don't know that it's uh, unwarranted. Uh, sure, of course. Um, but I wouldn't say that it's like a love letter to LA the way that um, others other cities in his recent movies have been sort of just like a, a nice yeah. backdrop to. Sure, yeah. I don't mean it's a love letter to Los Angeles. I mean, specifically, it's a love letter to like Hollywood in the 1930s. Sure. Um, that said, I think that I have, I think this is like the first movie I've seen of his. So I, uh, I felt like a lot of his movies, uh, I really respected in a way. I loved the, that character, the sort of like, Nebbish, not very macho, um, bookish. I really sort of like thought that was kind of the way to go, and and I and I got behind and like in in being a nerdy pretentious kid, I was like that was that's what I was into. Um, but now I'm at the point where it just I can't suffer this white nonsense any longer. <laughs> it's done. If it had been something different i think it like blue jasmine mm-hmm. um i think it, i would have been still fine you know there's still in the back of my mind all of the the situation with his daughters mm-hmm. um which doesn't help to 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 paint this in a good light but i feel like I, with this movie it's it's at the point where i it doesn't seem worth it to me to go see it mm. um it wasn't anything fresh and and there wasn't an, it's just we're over the story i'm 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 sick of this guy who like 
doesn't have it together and doesn't feel comfortable talking to ladies, losing out to the powerful guy. Like, it's just, it's been done. And I, I don't want to hear this, like, white guy story anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's definitely a familiar protagonist for a Woody Allen movie. Sure, it's, it's um, the Woody Allen character. He does the mannerisms and the voice, just like they've done, Owen Wilson has done, and he's actually Paul has done. And... A, Woody Allen, a Woody Allen surrogate in this movie is actually threefold, um, because we have, A, we have Jesse Eisenberg playing um, more or less the Woody surrogate. Mm-hmm. Although I would say he plays him a bit more kind of, uh, he plays it with a bit more bite. Um, than that character normally has. He has almost He's like... a little bit more confident. Yeah, he has almost too much confidence, mm-hmm. um, which in turn makes Jesse Eisenberg very unlikable in this yeah. movie. <laughs> yes, yes. Very unlikable. We'll yes. get to that. Um, and then we have um, his brother-in-law, who is the intellectual, yeah, who is yeah. there to voice all of Woody's like philosophical obsessions mm-hmm. and recurring motifs. And then we have Woody Allen himself narrating it. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's triplicate witty, uh, this time around. So Rebecca was really doomed, um, on that one. Another thing that I felt like wasn't, as we're talking about like what's fresh and what's not, that wasn't fresh was I used to think that his sort of like heady, complicated dialogue was sometimes charming and it worked out and maybe it works out when Woody's saying it and, and when Jesse Eisenberg says it, it just falls flat and it seems really forced and doesn't feel like normal conversations people would have, even like given the time period. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems awkward. He's played, uh, and he was also in Two Rome with Love. This is yeah. not his first time out doing the, that the, was with, the Woody uh, character. Ellen was, Page? Uh, and Greta Gerwig. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, mm-hmm. talk about a sizzling love triangle. Here's um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Just fireworks between those three. <laughs> Um, so, uh, and one thing I'll say for Jesse Eisenberg over the other Woody surrogates is that he looks the most like him when Woody was his age. Yeah. Like there are scenes where we see Jesse like puttering around his apartment with his like giant billowing khakis hiked up to his tits. Hands at his waist. Um, yeah. And just like carrying jazz records around and it's just like, that is, yes, that, that is him. I did Um, like the Owen Wilson. The Owen Wilson one was, yeah, no, yeah, Midnight in Paris, yeah, because he was able to bring a sort of, you know, like surferish charm yeah. to it um, that balanced out the neurosis. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember how painful Kenneth Branagh was in Celebrity because, oh, as, yeah. as a really, you know, classically trained British actor, he did yeah. it too well. Yeah. <laughs> it um, felt like then, a mockery. Yeah, it did. It was aggressive. Um, so, uh, but yeah, you know, Jesse Eisenberg is 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 profoundly unlikable uh, in this movie. He just he plays just a little shit. Yeah. Um. And uh, incredibly entitled. Yeah. Um. And Maybe the, that's what makes it makes it more difficult to swallow this time. Yeah. Well, I think that you know also he has uh you know there are moments where he's kind of you know humbled by the things that are happening around him, but he also has not one but two, just screen goddesses yeah. of his generation who are just just smitten with him. Non. This is such nonsense. This, this casting, guys. That he has not only Kristen Stewart, but also Blake Lively. Unbelievable. Who can I just say, in this movie, looks like like she's she almost looks like she's like radiating yeah. some kind of like like otherworldly like plutonium substance. Like okay, she is just yeah. she is radiant. She is beaming. It was un, it was in unbelievable. Every I couldn't tell frame. if it was like makeup. I know. You're lighting. like, how is this possible? It what was is like sunglasses needed. Yeah, exactly. She 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 shines brightly in this. And um there's not much to her character. Um she could not be more adoring. Mm-hmm. Um uh and uh and she's she's sort of like she's like his sloppy seconds. Yeah. 
Like, and then, so yeah, so he goes to LA, he falls in love with his uncle's um, secretary slash mistress. Uh, and then he gets turned away and then goes back to New York and then starts his nightclub with his mobster brother. And then he meets Blake Lively and then they have a kid. And then there's, he has the nerve to have a conversation at a bar about like, oh yeah, after they have kids, they let themselves go. Everything goes south. It's like, fuck you, Jesse Eisenberg. Who do you think you're talking about? Who do you think you are? And they cut back to like, they go, you know, he goes home and Blake Lively is like staying there just as gleaming as Beautiful. ever. Gorgeous, uh, gleaming. Doting. Oh my God. This like, is fuck you, Woody Allen. Like this is, this is just, oh my God. Um, And then, you know, and in the end, you know, like she's, things are not great. You know, like he's you know, still harboring the crush on Kristen Stewart. Uh, You know, uh, it's, it's just what uh yeah it's so unbelievable very very frustrating um so and i think that you know that kind of i mean it's, it's bullshit it's very very upsetting and that kind of goes back to that's always been a thing with woody allen movies because i mean he you know back in the day weirdly did very well um mm-hmm. in the romance department um despite his looks and uh you know so he's not one to to cast for that kind of thing um, but it's very, it's very frustrating to watch, uh, especially since Chris and Stewart, I mean, both Chris and Stewart and Blake Lively are photographed so gorgeously in this film. Um, and, uh, but this is, this gets down to how Woody Allen can write women in these kinds of stories. I think that he, he can do a really incredible female centered character piece, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. a blue Jasmine, like yeah. and her sisters. And he can write really incredible female characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they are not the lead, then goddamn, no. are they not written at all? At all. Um, and this is the latter. This is the latter. And he has, you know, he has a very old-fashioned uh, lens that he looks at this through, where women are are quite, are quite literally just romantic objects. Mm-hmm. And he does not think that's creepy. Obviously, his creepiness gauge historically right. <laughs> has not been great. Um, but you know, he, he, he's totally fine with that. Like he thinks that it's flattering. He thinks that it's charming and, and, and romantic to write about women that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and to write about, you know, women as, as these things to be conquered. Um, you know, like that's, he's, he's from a different generation, you know I mean? He's like, I think he's almost 80. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, like, I don't think that we're going to see woke Woody, um, <laughs> anytime soon. I think that he's going to continue writing these kinds of things until he no longer physically can. Um, but that does not make it necessarily great to watch. No. Um, I should also note that Anna Camp, the hilarious, wonderful Anna Camp, also has a great single scene performance as a prostitute. Oh yeah, um, who is hired, um, and she is she is great. Um, uh, Parker hope... Posey is in this movie. Parker Posey, uh, Corey Par- Stoll. Yes, Corey Stoll. Corey Stoll is the gangster brother. That's the thing about this movie; it has too much story. Um, yeah. it's very uneven. Um, there's it, it kind of resets itself a few times. And you're like, is it about this now? Okay, no, it's about this now. Okay, no, it's about this now. Right, and the stories don't overlap or relate necessarily. Yeah, no, there's little there's little it's gaps. Very very brief. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's little there's little gaps. It's um, I don't know what he. Yeah, I don't know what this scrap of paper said. I mean, anybody who saw um, the American Masters about Woody Allen um, will never shake the vision of when in this documentary they show. How he writes a story. Did I think you see I've seen this? this is the one where he they, he plays trumpet and he has show him playing trumpet and then he goes back and uh, types on the typewriter. Well, they show him. I know there's a documentary called Wild Man Blues that was like about his actual like jazz band. But mm. so this was when they show him. He has a drawer 
that he just empties out onto the bed. And in the drawer are all these scraps of paper with little idea fragments on them. Oh, I haven't seen that. It is the most fascinating thing. Um, and this is what he does. And you they know? all say, young girl, old man. <laughs> Teenage ingenue, old man. Not true, not true. At least some of them do. Um, some of them do. Um, and yeah, he just has these like little ideas and he just throws them in this drawer. It makes me think of like in the Joan Rivers documentary when she had her like joke catalog. files. Yeah, her joke car catalog. Uh, you know, these are two people from the same generation. You know, they believe yeah. in having paper ideas around that they pull from for their art. Uh, you know, so I just don't know what this scrap of paper said. <laughs> it said like, you know, oh, something about New York gangsters and Hollywood and something. No people of color. Right. Well, I mean, if, in this story, to be fair, who, where would there have been a person of color? I guess they go to a jazz club and, and there are some people of color playing music. Right. Which is, come on, accurate for the era. Sure. Of course. But still. Uh, but still. Um, Kristen Stewart, as you mentioned, um, is pretty light here. She uh, doesn't have her general somber sort of way about her. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so you had mentioned that Woody had to squeeze this out of her. He was quoted in Variety as saying, I told her she walked in like a relief picture coming in from the bull- bullpen. Which is, what do you think he's saying there? Jason? <laughs> well, that's one way of saying Daiki. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, she is noticeably much, much more effervescent, um, Mm -hmm. on screen here than usual. Um, but, uh, Rebecca, how did you feel about having such beautiful photography, uh, used on Okay, okay, we chatted a little bit about this on our way into the theater, and you were like, yeah, I was pretty upset about, not upset, but just I was not pleased. And, and you were like, oh, but it's so beautiful, even even these shots. And I was just like, yeah, but they're all sort of wasted on Kristen Stewart's face. So that kind of feminist commentary you looked okay, Rebecca for. Okay, <laughs> okay. I understand. I understand uh, where I went wrong. <laughs> well, I mean, so it, this movie is photographed by Vittorio Storaro, who is a three-time Oscar winner for Best Cinematography. Um, he did um, uh, The Last Emperor... He oh, wow. did The Last Tango in Paris. He did Reds. The last Woody Allen movie. He did. <laughs> He's done some other Woody Allen movies. Uh, yeah, he was like Bertolucci's primary cinematographer for oh, many wow. years. Um, this is a legend. A legend. And I feel like every frame of this movie is so gorgeously lit and and, and, and framed and uh, just rapturous. And yeah, everybody looks gorgeous. Uh, even Jesse Eisenberg in some shots does not look completely unfortunate. Yeah, his hair looked great. <laughs> even Corey Stoll's wig. Oh, yeah, that was pretty bad. Um, okay, so what are you going to give this one? Uh, I'm going to say consume moderation. Um, you know, this is not... I would say uh, for Woody, we should almost do a scale of like 1 to 10 of like based on his body of work. Mm. Uh, for, oh, for for Woody, where is this? Send it back. Um, Hard send it back. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, no, not for... I mean, like maybe you haven't seen some of the really bad ones. Oh, I like, guess that's true. Like, that's true. There are some really bad ones. Um, on a Woody scale, I think this is like a six. Like a, yeah, like I would mm. say this is like a six. Six or a seven on a Woody scale. Maybe six and a half. Um, because it's really not that wretched. I mean, it's still like forgettable, ultimately. Mm-hmm. It's not one of his. This is not going to be an awards movie, guys. No. This is not going to be end of year consideration. Um, but, you know, I think that it has its charms. as a handful of laughs. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I think that, yeah, it's in for, for the bin scale for me, it's consume moderation and for Rebecca, it's send it back, send it back, send it back. Uh, it's rated PG 13 for some violence, a drug reference and suggestive material. 
Uh, movie number three is Lights Out. When her little brother Martin experiences the same events that once tested her sanity, Rebecca works to unlock the truth behind the terror, bringing her face to face with an entity that has an attachment to their mother. A long time ago, I had a friend named Diana. Then something really bad happened to her. Everyone is afraid of the dark. And that's what she feeds on. Show yourself. So this trailer alone scared the hell out of me. I had to stop it and then I was like, oh, I can do it. And I pressed play and then it scared me more. I just, I would, the shit was too much. <sighs> it's scary. In real, the whole thing. Oh man. Oh, it's scary. Oh, it's real scary. I had like head to toe body chill scares several times. Oh wow! In the first like twenty five minutes. Are you easily scared or not? I forget. Um, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. I mean, like maybe I don't. I mean, I don't think of myself as being super easily scared. You know, I think that you know there are those jump scares that get all of us. But mm-hmm. you know, I think that this is this is just really effectively very very scary. And it, what it does is that it basically has the same thing that is scary every time they do it Mm -hmm. and it's scary from beginning to end (laughs) and it's the same thing so it's a good one scare system (laughs) that where it's just (laughs) from where it works it works it's it endures um this thing that's scary because you know it has this whole idea of this 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 entity named diana uh (laughs) never mind diana i liked never and uh that you know is only visible um when the lights are off and um you know which is perfect nightmare fodder oh yeah Uh, because that happens every day because yeah the second that you you know you'd like she could be in the room with you and the lights are on and then you turn the lights off and you see her silhouette right there next to you Mm. and you turn the lights back on and then you don't see her and you turn it back on again and she's like on top of you oh my god it's like that ninja cat video I'll send that to you later. Okay. <laughs> I'd like to know how it's like a ninja cat video. Oh, you'll see. You're like, really, this cat? Sneaky. <laughs> it's a sneaky cat. Also possessed. Also. Uh, it seems like a movie that doesn't rely too much on like gory graphic no. violence, which is always kind of fun. Yeah. No, I don't think there's any gore in this movie, really. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just genuinely very, very frightening. Uh, whew, yeah. It's Ooh. scary. And what's the story here? Uh, so the story uh, involves uh, this family. Uh, we have the adult daughter, played by Teresa Palmer, from The Choice, uh, <laughs> our female lead from The Choice, uh, Rebecca's favorite dog reaction shot movie. Love that. Uh, and uh, she has a younger half-brother um, who is like 10 or so, uh, who still lives with their mother, uh, who is played by Maria Bello. And, uh, and the mother has a long history of mental problems. And, um, and uh, so then we kind of get this whole backstory about things that have happened in the family's past. And it all comes to be about the fact that the mother has this kind of weird friend. You know, everyone's mom has that one weird friend mm-hmm. who's always hanging around. Pam. Pam. Usually a Pam. And uh, in this case, the weird friend is some kind of evil demon ghost. Um, that the mother met um, whenever they were at a mental hospital together when they were teenagers. Oh, and um, so and this 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 woman um she died when she was in the hospital, and um, but she has this really kind of weird, intense, codependent bond 
um, with Maria Bello's character, even in death. And so she basically sort of haunts her life and drives out anybody who gets too close and threatens their relationship. This sounds familiar. This seems Doesn't like it? most lesbian relationships. Also. Oh, you know, the codependence, the un- inability to let go. Driving others away. Still being Making friends, everyone else's life miserable. Even though someone can't get their shit together. Very typical. Even if one has died, mm-hmm. it's like, sorry, it's forever. <laughs> it is forever. Um, so the this story is revealed in the third act? Uh, yeah, that's the weird thing about this movie. So most ghost movies like this wait until around the third act to give you the full, like, oh, and here's what, what's actually been happening the whole time. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's the backstory about how this demon came to be. Um, this movie gives it to you in the first act. Um, which when it happened, I was uh, actually like let down a little because you cannot get the backstory about like a ghost or a creepy or a demon or a big bad and then still have it be as scary because now you're like, okay, well now I know what it is. Right. Um, So was it? um, And yet it still was very scary because that's kind of when the movie pivots unexpectedly into being almost more of a domestic drama. Um, about this, about this mentally ill woman, oh. um, who uh, can't let go uh, of her uh, dysfunction and and won't get accept treatment, and is just you know allowing herself to be victimized by this creature um, that attacks her children. Sounds like a really smart horror movie. Yeah, it's really you know it's really interesting. Like really unexpected stuff goes on here. Um, and, uh, and it has, you know, it, it's even the ending, you know, I kept waiting for there to be, uh, I would, it has what I would describe as an, an extreme conclusion. Um, and, uh, and then it doesn't even do like the usual, like last scare thing. Uh, it's just kind of like, yep, that's where it ends. Hmm. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's very, it's very somber and sad and scary. Uh, and, uh, and Maria Bello and Teresa Palmer are both fantastic actresses and they're both very, very strong in this film. And uh, yeah, I was I was I was surprised. I was very surprised. It was actually you know, I mean, because a lot of these kinds of movies are really about pain or loss or grief or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one um, wears it a bit more on the surface than others. Um, and this, there are other movies that have this sort of female-driven, uh, strong emotional undercurrent, mm-hmm. supernatural thrillers, um, like The Ring and Mama, mm-hmm. Babadook, Babadook, Babadook. Uh, what do you think it is about? This genre that that makes it so friendly to female leads. Well, I think it might have something to do with the sort of emotional range that audiences are comfortable watching women um, mm. experience. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think that uh, you know because like the, every if you're playing the lead in one of these movies, you're going to go through the fucking ringer. Yeah. Um, and uh, no pun intended. And <laughs> uh, you know, so I think that that just kind of tends to lend itself better to um, to female actors. And, you know, and this one is, I would say it's very, very similar to Mama, um, which also, like this, was about this sort of, like, black-clad rocker chick in her 20s uh, with, like, a doofy boyfriend who finds herself kind of responsible for a child who's being stalked by um, a possessive uh, demon. <laughs> um, possessive female demon, to be exact. Um, so Sheman. She. <laughs> Femen? No, it looks better <laughs> in, in type. Um, so, uh, yeah, so it's very similar to to Mama, which which was another film that, you know, was very, very scary and had actually a very kind of heartbreaking conclusion to it. 
But this isn't like a torture porn kind of. No, no, not in the slightest. No. Um, this is yeah. This is uh, yeah. This is this is a rough one emotionally. Um, but but not uh, not violence wise. That sounds awesome. Yeah. What are you gonna give this movie? Man, I'm so close to saying binge it. Um, but I feel like the the conclusion is the conclusion undoes it just a little bit. So this is like a consume plus. Okay. Um, you know, I really was pleasantly surprised by this movie, and I think that it is very it delivers the goods scare wise, and uh, and it's surprisingly uh, uh, touching emotionally. So I do recommend this one, but we can't quite give it the highest rating. I'm definitely going to go see this one. Cool. Um, it is out now, and it's rated PG-13 for terror throughout, violence including disturbing images, some thematic material, and brief drug content. And that brings us to our last movie, which is Breaking a Monster, our pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick, pick, pick is the pick, pick of, of the week. week. Breaking a Monster chronicles the breakout year of the band Unlocking the Truth following the three 13-year-old members as they first encounter stardom in the music industry, transcending childhood to become rock stars they've always dreamt of being. Big news out of the music industry. Metallica's asked them to open for them. Three African-American kids from Brooklyn who are a heavy metal band. I was on the plane the next day. What are you doing out there? Are we in L.A., boy? They're relating to everything in L.A. because of Grand Theft Auto. Okay, so these three boys get swept up into the music industry. Is mm-hmm. there, um, is this like a clear good guy, bad guy? Is there an enemy here? Do they get taken advantage of? Yeah, kind of. Um, you know, it's, 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 yeah. So we have these three boys uh, who have, uh, you know, they're like 12 and 13 years old. Um, and they get swept up really quickly in this kind of overnight record industry situation. Mm -hmm. Um, And they are not equipped to handle it. Um, And uh, they have uh, this, you know, manager come along and, uh, and he's trying to represent them, but they basically, we can see, I think as the audience, there's a certain sort of like tragic irony as the audience that we can see what's going on. Mm. Like we can see that this is a novelty act. Um, uh. We can see the dollar signs that Sony, Sony is the one that signs them. Mm-hmm. And um, and we start to hear more about it. We find out that Sony had signed them. It's an insane deal. Um, it was like a five or six album contract for only like $1.5 million. Oh, wow. Which isn't Sony the one to have Kesha? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is. So Sony, man. One point, one point divided by the three yeah. and the manager. Yeah. And the, wow. Yeah, total. Um, and, uh, so really not a great deal, but seemed good at the time. And, um, you know, and then they just kind of get caught up in a label purgatory, uh, where, you know, they, uh, the label needs to, cause you know, when you are on a label, the label is the one that's like, get, you know, approves your album and schedules you in the studio and mm-hmm. sets things up for you. And if you're not a priority, like they're not going to do that. And so we're just watching like the band. They, it's kind of like a hurry up and wait situation where like all these things happen for them really, really quickly. And then nothing happens for a very long time. Um, and it's just, you know, the, the, this manager trying to keep things going with them. And the kids are discouraged because they're just fucking 12 and 13 year old boys. Right. And, um, you know, so like they're going around, they're playing these festivals. They're getting booked for on, on talk shows. They have not, the Sony has not let them in the studio to record even a single song. 
Um, so they have, they have not one single recorded song um, this entire span of this movie. Oh, wow. Um, and um, and they're trying to keep their momentum going while having this kind of interpersonal conflict between them and the manager. And uh, because I'm like, these are young boys who can be little shits mm-hmm. and, you know, they just want to go play Grand Theft Auto. Sure. And, uh, and there's, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of little funny, subtle, dry humor moments in this movie. One of them being that the manager marveling that when he takes him to LA for the first time, that they know the city inside and out from playing Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> That's <laughs> like, true. I've done that too. <laughs> everywhere they go, they know exactly what street they're on and what's next. Sometimes I can navigate through LA because I'm like, oh, I think this is over here. Why that? This bar. is where I killed that hooker. Yeah. Well, one of. <laughs> uh, how much is this movie actually about that manager? So he's 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 kind of the star of the show in some ways. This guy. This guy is is a character. Uh, he's a fucking character. His name is Alan Sachs, and um, he has a weird, weird showbiz history. Um, going back to he helped like co-create Welcome Back, Cotter, <laughs> um, and then he had a lot of just like spurious, random, different movie and TV music projects throughout the years. Mm-hmm. And then the last time he really hit it big was he was like a driving producer force behind the Jonas Brothers. Okay. And Camp Rock, which also had Demi Lovato. Um, so, and now he's just, he's just like this old, like Jewish, like entertainment industry kind of personality. Mm-hmm. He like, he's, he's like somewhere, he's like a cross between like Jerry Stiller and <laughs> like, and like a really rumpled Al Pacino. Uh, <laughs> so Al Pacino. Yeah. And, um, and, and so it's just funny watching him try to now be like, Okay, guys, you know, like, we just got to do what I'm saying here. You know, I'm looking out for your best interests. And and they're just like, well, you don't really care. And he's like, hey, you listen to me, you little shits. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so he's just, this, this, this old man who just, like, has that kind of, like, just totally uh, just destroyed look of a man who's been in the entertainment industry for too long. <laughs> and then the, these, like, this unlikely group of boys. And uh, there's a lot of just hilarious kind of culture clash comedy that plays out between <laughs> in that dynamic. And with him trying to, you know, get them to stay on, stay focused and them just not being interested. So the the sort of, as you were saying, they're being viewed as sort of a novelty act. And part of it, is, it seems to be because they are three young black kids who are playing mm-hmm. heavy metal. Um, how much does race play a part in, in this movie? Uh, it's definitely there. It's a question that they have to ask over and over, that they have to answer over and over again that a white band would not have to answer. Which is like, so why do you play heavy metal? Mm. Um, and sometimes it comes from, you know, uh, other African-American artists. There's a scene where they're being interviewed on stage at a TED Talk by um, Q-Tip and Nile Rodgers. And, you know, then they're like, why, how do you guys get into that and not this, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, but then, you know, there's, um, they're pitched by Sony very early on in, um, for like what their t-shirts will look like. And the t-shirts that they have mocked up for them is basically a boondocks ripoff. No. Um, and the kids all recognize it right away. They're like, yeah. boondocks. And they're like, well, no, it's different than boondocks. And they're like, boondocks. That's the boondocks. That's what you put on a t-shirt. We don't want that. Oh, um, that's rude. And, uh, and then later, one of the kids finds a YouTube video of um, a sort of like a black cultural critic basically saying, like, this label is, uh, is, is exploiting them because they're exploiting. This is to exploit white guilt. Um, oh. that like you will feel bad like white me you know well-meaning white liberal audiences are going to see like oh these three black boys playing heavy metal like we have to go out and support that we don't support that we're bad people um you know so there's it definitely is is brought up and you know and you just kind of 
feel bad for the kids having to carry this weight on their shoulders. At I 13. Mean, one of many weights they have to carry uh, throughout the film. Like, it's it's sad to go watch them go from just being really just goofy, free-spirited kids in the film's beginning to as they start to comprehend the weight of what they're under now. And just you start to see them squirm uh, and and just kind of, like, be in pain the way that we're so used to seeing so many bands Mm-hmm. Um, regardless of their age, uh, when they're go- caught up in like the label machine, yeah. and just miserable and fucking hating life, um, you know that's these kids lose their joy over the course of this movie. Sad. It is sad, and um, and there's no actual um, postscript or anything to catch you up on what's happened since. But since um, they have fired the manager, mm. um, and they are trying to get out of the Sony deal. Um, so good luck to you yeah, kids it's not looking good uh yeah it's not looking great um but you know it's just yeah it feels like a cautionary tale um you know it's 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 intersection of so many things in this movie between like just how fucked up the record industry is and how predatory and exploitative mm-hmm. it is um and then just that being amplified by the fact that these are like young black kids from like a working class brooklyn background um and that now here they're 12 and 13 and they're basically locked up for life by this record industry <sighs> Um, and, uh, and the whole thing kind of works almost like a metaphor for like the end of, you know, childhood yeah. and, uh, you know, the end of innocence and, um, you know, having to learn that like not everything gets to be fun anymore. You know, now you have all this responsibility foisted upon you. All that said, I mean, if Sony's looking to pick up a podcast. <laughs> yes, we have no, we have, we're happy to give our lives away. We're already we have no life jaded. to give away. All the good parts are gone. Exactly. We've both worked in corporate America long enough. We have no, we no have no innocence left. Will to live. Um, I was really excited to see this movie. Um, I must admit, I fell asleep. Yeah. I had, I had, it was a double header. Um, <laughs> even though it's about energetic boys playing heavy metal, but uh, does, is the movie exciting? Um, so no, it isn't. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this movie is actually very. Uh, it's very quiet. It's a really, it's a really quiet. I'm, I wasn't surprised that you fell asleep because, despite being about a heavy metal band, um, it's really very. Uh, you know, it kind of pulls you into that um, that torpor of, of being in in this yeah this um, limbo mm. with them. You know, so like it has it it has that very fitful start and stop thing that they're feeling, mm-hmm. um, where there's like lots and lots of nothing, and then suddenly it's really exciting near the festival, and then it's back to lots and lots of nothing, and um, you know, it really just drags you through like the minutia of this process. Um, Seems interesting, though. Yeah, no, it is really interesting. Um, I will say that I um, I thought about not having a pick of the week this week just because I didn't love any of the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did think that this was um, just a really valuable... Like, it's, it's weird how, you know, we all think we know a certain base level of information about how things work with, like, record deals and mm-hmm. things like that. And but this really gives you a very like boots on the ground view of what it looks like whenever a label does just come and swoop you up. Yeah. And um and then Which how so many you... people are like hoping for exactly and then you just get lost in the gears. Yeah. Uh. So uh. So yeah. That said, if Sony's looking to pick up a yeah, podcast once again, we're yours for the taking. I seem too thirsty, but <laughs> the thirst is real. It's very real. Um. Okay. So it's out now, and it is not rated. Breaking a monster. That's it, Jason. That's it, Rebecca. Um, 
thank you so much for listening. Um, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Um, you can follow Jason at the Jason Leroy, and I am at Fight Balance. Those are our Twitter handles. Yes. Uh, next week we are uh, rather than have a new episode uh, or a new release episode, we're going to be doing a mid-year countdown. Um, yes, it is almost August. Um, but we figure as long as we get in there before all the prestige movies come out, we're fine. Exactly. Uh, so join us next week when we count down uh, our 10 favorite movies of 2016, this horrible nightmare factory of a year so far. Thanks so much. Bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end, that's amazing. There, there goes, goes the, the binge. binge.